Good morning, church. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one as we dive into it once again. So if you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app that you can open up, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. And if you're receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, just keep the one that you receive and take it with you. Um, Well, Bibles are going out. Just a few things for you. First of all, happy Father's Day. It's an awesome day, but my family's not even with me, so it's a lonely Father's Day to me. Spent about uh, two hours making bacon this morning, so congratulations for eating my bacon, and, uh, and you have no idea how bad I smell right now up here, so <laughs> it was a strange week in the world of sports. A Canadian team won an American championship. And an American team won a Canadian championship in a Canadian sport. So there you go. I'm all right with flip-flopping. There were lots of Canadians playing on the American hockey team that took the Stanley Cup. And there were no Canadians on the basketball team that took the NBA Finals, I'm sure. But that trophy's in Canada now. So there we go. All right, next week, let me just remind you again of the outdoor service that we're going to have. And um, just, uh, I'm I'm joining with Elise, let's pray that it doesn't rain. It seems like all of our soccer tournaments on weekends this year have been rained out. We get them started and then they get called off because of bad weather. And and we thought it was going to happen yesterday again, but here we are, we're still going. Um, After that service next Sunday, following that service... Um, I just, I, I want to share just a little bit of my excitement over some of the stuff that's happening. Why are we having a business meeting? This is not our annual meeting. It's not our annual meeting. This is a church business meeting that our chairman elder has called. That's the official way to do it. He calls the meeting. And um, we're going to talk about a, a shift that we've made. And the shift is moving our fiscal year as a church. And instead of starting our fiscal year on July 1st, we're starting it on October 1st. And here's some of the reasoning behind this, and I love this. When we have been doing our annual meeting each year, um, it's been kind of a look back at what's happened in the previous year. And then we've got another year coming up in September, October, the school year, where we kick all these things off. But by that time, the annual meeting's sort of been forgotten. And what we're trying to do as a leadership team here is move the momentum to the fall. So we gather together before things really get going. We gather together as a church and we will share with you what is the vision for the church for that year and we will build momentum around that. We're excited about that. We're excited about the opportunity to say this is what it's about. Our ministry leaders are going to tell you this is the vision we have for the coming year and then we just launch right into it and we all get behind it. And so that's the reasoning for that and that's why we're having a business meeting next Sunday, and our annual meeting will come later. It'll come in September, on September 22nd. So that's the shift that we're making, and I'm excited about it. I think it's going to really help us uh, as a church just come into the fall together with a clear picture of, hey, where's God leading us this year? And we pray together for what he's going to do. We pray together for the direction that we're going to go. We pray together for all of our programs and ministries and all the different things that we do as a church. So I'm really excited about that. So that's kind of what's behind next Sunday. Um, Just stick around for our church business meeting and um, you'll find out a little more about what we're talking about and um, how we do the transition that three-month period in between. All right, so back to our series called Deconstruction. 
We are taking the summer to address some of our pursuits and our priorities and our values, and we're breaking them down. We're inviting God to rebuild them according to his vision for each of these things, his vision for our lives. Last week, we started deconstructing our pursuit, our prioritization, and value of the relationships in our lives. We talked about the fact that we were created in God's image and that his image is at the base of who we are. That's what we build on as followers of Christ. We acknowledge that God's love for us is absolutely sufficient for us, allowing us to become givers in our relationships, not just receivers, seeking what we need in our relationships from other people. We find it in him instead because his love, the relationship that we have with God, is sufficient for us. We're going to continue acknowledging God's sufficiency this morning as we talk about how this truth plays out in various relationships in our lives. And I know that at the end of last week's message, some of you were asking, well, how do we do this? How do we live this out? The principle caught you, but you're looking for details. Legitimate question. God's love is very practical, and it applies to all of our relationships. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want to begin this message by looking again at God's sufficiency for us relationally. In our relationship with him, which is based on faith because we can't see him, we can't touch him, We can find all that we need relationally, but not because we're doing religious relationship really well. We don't receive what we need by trying hard and doing the right things. We receive what we need relationally because God gives us what we need generously. That's who he is. That's what he does for us. God loves us And his love encompasses all that we need as people relationally. So many of his promises to us in the Bible make that clear for us. This morning, um, I've given you a reminder of that on your program insert. Go ahead and pull out the insert in your bulletin. This is a list that I came across years ago that reminds us of who we are in Christ. When we received God's love for us, We were transferred as God's children to a place that God refers to as being in Christ. We've been cleansed, forgiven, and given new life as we moved with Jesus through death to self and resurrection to life in Christ. And so look at that insert. If you don't have one, just listen to what God says is true of you. Now that I am in Christ, I am. I am significant. I am the salt of the earth, light of the world, and God's child. I am a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am a personal witness of Christ's. I am God's temple, a member of, God, of Christ's body, a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's co-worker, I am a saint. I have been raised up and I am seated with Christ. I am God's workmanship, a citizen of heaven. I am significant. I am also accepted. 
I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am joined to the Lord and I am one spirit with him. I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I've been made righteous and adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I am of God's household. I may approach God with boldness and confidence. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I'm accepted. And then I am secure. I am a child of God. I'm assured that all things work together for good. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I am free forever from condemnation I am free from any condemning charges against me. I've been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I have been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge guaranteeing my inheritance to come. I have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that the good work that God has begun in me will be perfected. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I can find grace and mercy in time of need. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. Now, don't you want to hire somebody to be right next to your bed when you wake up in the morning and they just read this list to you to remind you of these things? Well, God's there for that. He's there to remind you that these things are true of you, his child. This is how God loves us. Just look at how generous he is with us. In our relationship with God, we are being invited to receive all that he offers us out of his love for us. We didn't earn these things. We don't deserve these things. We don't have to convince ourselves that they're true. This is the significance, acceptance, and security that come with our relationship with God. How beautiful is that? As God fills us to overflowing with his love, he uses us to bless others with that love as well. His love flows through us. Last week, we looked at agape love and and the way God has called us to this kind of love for others. This morning, let's look at agape love and a few other kinds of love that we have for others. And I think this will help us to understand how we were created and how God is using us in this world. Jesus said, love one another. Paul, John, Peter, and others echoed his words when instructing the church in the way that we live our lives in this world. So let's continue to make sure that we understand what they were saying. Some of you have heard in the past that there are four words in Greek that express love. And I think it's important for us to understand this and to be aware of how the Bible uses these four words that we've translated into English as the one word, love. The first of these words is the Greek word eros. 
Eros is obviously the root word of some words in English that we won't go into this morning. This is a passionate love that's an emotional attachment based on body chemistry. There is something in the other person that pleases you. The basis of this kind of love is self-satisfaction. Eros looks for what it can receive, not what it can give, unless that means it receives more. It is a conditional kind of love. Now here's the thing. The Eros kind of love does not appear anywhere in the entire New Testament. Not once. This kind of love was not commanded by Jesus, Paul, John, Peter, or anyone else. Eros love had a very minimal place in the biblical picture of love. It is a secondary love. Now think about the place this kind of love has been promoted to in our culture. Sexuality has in many ways been promoted as the deepest form of love, the deepest expression of love. It's become the highest goal in relationships. The the pressure to engage in this is enormous. So teenagers, let me talk to you for a moment. You are being lied to from so many sources about love. You're being told that sex is how you prove your love to someone. The world has tried to convince you that sex is an essential part of your life experience as teens and that it's something that you are entitled to and expected to participate in. You are being lied to. Do not believe what you're being told. Listen well to what you're going to hear about love right now. I mean, really listen. God has something to show you here, and it's about his love for you and how he wants to love others through you. The second Greek word for love is storge. Storge is also a secondary kind of love. This kind of love has to do with natural feelings of affection or obligation towards somebody else, like a husband or wife, a child, or even the family dog. It's the kind of love that's devoted to another naturally or instinctively. Its only use in the New Testament is in the negative sense. There are some people in the Bible who have been referred to as being unloving in this way. The third Greek word is phileo. This kind of love is based on a positive response to someone else along the lines of having something in common with them. This is brotherly love. This has to do with shared happiness in a relationship. The words philanthropy, philanthropist, and even Philadelphia come from this word, brotherly love. And then there's the Greek word for love that appears 320 times in the New Testament. It's agape love, or as I discovered this last week, agape love. I've been pronouncing it wrong my entire life but I'm going to keep pronouncing it wrong because it rolls off the tongue way easier than agape. So it's agape. We're just, we're going to live with it. We talked about this kind of love last week as we reflected on God's love for us. 
This is the clearest way in which the image of God is reflected in us. He loved us, so we love. And here's an opportunity for us. If there's any one subject related to being a follower of Christ that we should apply ourselves to understanding very, very well, it's this one. God, our Father, is love. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandments were. He said, love God and love your neighbor. Paul wrote that out of faith, hope, and love, love was the greatest. Understand love. Understand agape. We'll learn more about it today. It's who God is. It's who we are and what God is offering the world through us. We are blessed to be reflections of his image in this way, bearing the fragrance of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Okay, that sounds great, but how? What does it look like to love like this today, this afternoon, tomorrow, next week? What does it look like in the lives of those I love and the people that I can see and touch? How do I agape them Well, let's begin with a simple bit of direction from Paul to the church in Ephesians 5, verse 25. Paul wrote, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love, agape, your wives, just as Christ loved, agape, the church, and gave himself for her. Based on our understanding of agape, we did some definition last week. Husbands, delight in giving yourself to your wife. Do not put conditions on her. Don't expect her to respond to your love or initiate that love. Make this agape love your noblest pursuit. Value her. She is precious. Make her well-being your goal, your consuming passion. Assume that this is how she sees you as well. Husbands, seek and find your significance, not in her, in Christ. Take that pressure off your wife. You don't need her to show you that you're significant. Just serve her. God is significant, is sufficient for you. He provides your significance. Husbands, what is your vision for your marriage? If we're going to love our wives like Jesus loves the church, it's going to require some kind of intentionality. Here's where it begins. Husbands, receive the love that God has for you. Receive God's love for you. His love is sufficient. Get as much understanding as you can on how God loves you. Sometimes you might have to just sit still and receive it quietly. But receive it freely. Allow God's generosity to meet your relational need. And then ask God to love through you. Husbands, answer the question about how Jesus loves the church. How does he? He gave himself for her. What else? What is this love that he had for his bride? Let's get good at this. 
Paul helps us understand this better. He gets practical regarding this agape thing. He writes, love is, and then he goes on to describe and define it for us. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And rather than seeing this as that passage they read at weddings, let's look at it today in light of what love is and the fact that this was written to the church, not to couples preparing for their wedding ceremony. This was written to the church. This is how we're to love each other. In marriage, yes, but in the rest of our relationships as well. Paul writes to the church about God's love and what that love looks like flowing through us. And remember that God is this. And we are a reflection of him. There are some steps involved in our vision for our lives pertaining to our relationships. We like steps. We're Westerners. Just give me some steps to do this. I'll give you steps. But first, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In the beginning of verse 8, love never ends. And I pronounce them man and wife, and everyone cheers. <laughs> Verses 1 to 3 state the essential nature of love in our lives. There are many things we can do well, like being eloquent, or wise, or powerful, or generous, or even faithful, but if we don't have God's love flowing through us, we're not worth much in the world. Then in verses 4 to the beginning of verse 8, Paul breaks down agape for us. He describes it, and this leads to how we can live it out. Let's look closely at just a few of the characteristics of agape that Paul mentions here. And I'm going to give you a little, um, what is it called? A life hack. There's this website, Blue Letter Bible. How many of you visit Blue Letter Bible? Phenomenal resource. Phenomenal resource. So if you go and pull up 1 Corinthians 13 and you go to these verses, you can click on one of those verses and it'll give it to you word by word or phrase by phrase and then it'll go to the Greek and it'll give you the definition, the depth of the meaning of these words. Not hard. Won't take you long. Just do it. This is what you come up with. Let's start with the dreaded love is patient characteristic. What does this mean? And it's not quite the same as the way we most commonly use the word patience. Here's what it means. 
Love bears our offenses and injuries. God bears our offenses and injuries. He is slow to avenge what we do to him. It's part of agape. In his love for us, God is thick-skinned. Receive that. Accept what God is offering you here. He's not jumping on you for messing up. If you offend him sometimes, so do I. He is patient with us. He knows that we are imperfect. If we fight this and we continue to see him as an impatient, angry God who is tired of our failures, we can't receive his love for us in this way. If we don't receive that love, how will God extend love through us in this way? We're left to try it on our own, and it doesn't work. So here are some steps for you. Here's a pattern that I want to use. Step one, receive. See God this way. He is patient. It's how he loves. Step two, ask God to produce patience in you. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Stay close to him and draw on him for this. Step three, practice patience. It's who you are and it will affect your relationships. Bear the offenses and injuries of others. Paul goes on and says that love is kind. This is also a fruit that God produces in us. Fruit is a way of reproducing the source that is such a blessing to us and to others. We're reproducing God's image, his likeness in our world. God is planting seeds that have his likeness in them. We aren't producing this on our own. Then Paul writes a list of negatives. Love does not envy or boast. These things will contradict the image of God in us. God is not producing these things in us. We are due to our battle with our sinful nature. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It's not easily angered. It is not resentful. It does not judge people on the wrong that they've done to us. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It is not happy when things are out of order. See, God's image in us produces some defense as well as offense. This is a good checklist for us. It's not about us being judged for doing something well or not. It's about us checking ourselves to make sure these things aren't happening in us. Meanwhile, God is at work in our lives to produce more things in us. Love rejoices with the truth. It celebrates sincerity and integrity. It bears all things. It covers things with silence. It believes all things. It believes in the goodness of mankind. Love hopes all things. It waits with joy and confidence for the restoration of things, the restoration of people. It endures all things. It bears them bravely and confidently. And love never ends. It doesn't cease. Let's go back and apply our steps again. 
Step one, receive. Love hopes all things. This is how God loves us. He is waiting with joy and confidence for us to be restored. He knows that we will be perfected one day and lose the limitations that we now have in this fallen world with our sinful, selfish nature still trying to take us down. God does not judge us without this in mind. He prunes and disciplines us to continue transforming us, but he does this with a mindset of joy and anticipation. He is absolutely confident about who we are becoming and the time when that process will be completed. He's not watching us destroy things daily with sadness or anger or disappointment in his heart. That's love. Church, receive that love. Your father is hopeful when he looks at you. He sees the journey that you're on and he smiles. He smiles at what's to come. That's what love is. Step two, ask God to produce that hope in you. Ask him to help you see the people in your life with his eyes, with his hope. And step three, practice, practice hope. Parents, let's do this with our kids. We love our kids, but do we know how we love our kids? Are we settling for simply giving them stuff, filling their schedules, rewarding their accomplishments? Where and how did we learn to love our kids? Let's begin as parents with God and his perfect love for us. God hopes when he looks at us. Ask God to produce hope in you as a parent and then look to your kid's future with hope. Practice hope. That's one of the ways that we love our kids. All right, let's apply what we're learning to one more type of relationship. The New Testament is filled with instruction on this. Many, many times we are instructed, commanded, encouraged to love one another in the church, in God's family. And there's no denying how important this is to God. Naturally, he's concerned about this We are his eternal family, and he is our eternal father. This is a picture of how his family should function. And so Jesus, Paul, John, Peter, and others address us, the church, and let us know that it is critical that we love one another. Chapel Hill It is my belief that we as a church, that this church, we have an opportunity to truly become the church that God designed us to be. Do you believe that? We have that opportunity, and I believe that it's possible. I believe that we're showing all kinds of signs of growth in this, that we are moving in the right direction. 
believe that we can actually do this. I believe that we can love each other the way God intends us to love each other. I believe that we can be patient and kind to each other. I believe that we can rejoice with the truth together, that we can bear all things together, believe all things together, hope all things, and endure all things, and I believe that this never has to end. So together, together let's go through the steps. Church, let's receive what God has for us. Each of us can stand on the truth of who God is and how he loves us. We can definitely receive his love for us. We can invest in understanding his love and accepting it, every aspect of it that we come to understand We can ask together that God loves like this through us to each other. And we can practice this love. This is the church that God desires us to be. This is the church that I believe that we can become more and more as we grow in our understanding of God's love for us. Receive that love. Ask for God to love like that through us and practice being a reflection of his love in this world, in this church. This is God's love. This is just a glimpse of how it applies to our relationships. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and the worship team as well as we close our service together. And let's spend a couple minutes in prayer as they come and prepare. So will you pray with me? Just bow your heads and close your eyes and I want you to do something that might feel a little awkward but everyone's got their eyes closed and they can't see you. So don't worry about this. I want you to just put your hands on your lap, palms turned up in a posture of receiving. Just do that as we pray this morning. And before I pray, I want you to silently pray to God in your mind and in your heart. And I just want you to thank him for his love for you. And I want you to express to him that your desire is to receive that love. That your intent is to grow in your understanding of how God loves you. And that with each thing that you learn, with each new discovery and revelation, you will say to God, Father, I receive your love. And Father, we do this morning. We receive that perfect love that you have laid out for us in your word that you have demonstrated in our lives, that you have spoken to us through the words and actions of others, that you have spoken to us in those quiet times when we just sit still and be quiet and listen to you and receive the love that you have for us. Father, you are so generous to us. 
You are a good, good father, and we are so privileged to be your sons and daughters. And so this morning we receive. Everything that you've shown us this morning, we receive it with open hands. And we ask, Father, that you would, that you would love this way through us, through each one of us, through us collectively as a church. And having received and asked. And God, just lead us into practicing this love towards each other. In our marriages, in our families, with our neighbors and our coworkers in this church with each other, in your world. God, love through us. Affirm for us that we love because you first loved us. We give ourselves, Lord, to this process of transformation in our lives. The misconceptions that we may have had of of love of different types of love and their value in our lives. We want to tear that down and just rebuild on your truth, your love, our acceptance of it, our dependence on you to produce it in us, and our willingness to practice in obedience what you've shown us and commanded us to do. Thank you for your love. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.